Well, we are going to have a candle lighting time here uh, at the end of the service. Uh, we'll have some scripture reading. Uh, we will have it darkened here at that time. And, uh, and then those scripture readers will come out to the sides, to these uh, wings here, uh, sections, and wait till the chorus line of that worship song and, uh, and light that one person here on this wing over here and then this one person. And then you will take your candle and just one person at a time work through this section and then cross the aisle, work through this section, lighting each other's candle. And they'll be doing that on the same side over here. Uh, they will be one at a time. You'll light each other's candle uh, and cross the aisle, then do this section. And then when that whole section's done, cross the aisle, light one person. So it's going to be fun. That's an enjoyable time while we have uh, song and worship going. So uh, the children will be brought in right before that happens. So I've entitled this message series, It is More Blessed to Give Than Receive. And we've been looking at, uh, you know, God's chosen personalities and characters in the Christmas story. Part one was with Mary, and what we learned and saw from her that she had to give uh, back to God uh, and a, a willingness to say yes in a sense, turned her uh, choice over to her, and, and she said in this way, she said, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And so I summarized that session by this. Despite her big surprise, Mary gave God her will and said to the angel Gabriel, not my will, but yours be done. And what a surrender uh, and a model of surrender for us is that young uh, teenage young woman, godly woman. Uh, then we looked at Joseph, who was so shocked and uh, his dream of having this wonderful Jewish family was come crashing down uh, and he was planning on divorcing the engagement, ending the engagement and divorcing her quietly uh, so perhaps she wouldn't be stoned or have other kind of consequences like that that could be harming to her. And, uh, but he had a dream, and an angel spoke to him. And it says that, uh, that he got up and he did as the angel said. So he just responded in obedience. And so how I summarize that, that despite his unmet expectations, uh, Joseph obeyed God and gave him his trust regarding his unknown future. He realized my future dreams were gone. It's going to be totally different. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like. And I'm giving to God uh, my uh, shattered dreams and just trust that the future is going to be good. It's going to be blessed. And, uh, and so that's how I'm summarizing part two. One verse that I love out of these stories, and I bet it was the one that Mary repeated to Joseph whenever he got a little frustrated and all of these sudden changes and these roadblocks and things, is she would repeat the last words of the angel Gabriel when he said, Luke one thirty seven, for with God, nothing is impossible. Remember, Joseph, for with God, we're going to make it. We're going to make it to Bethlehem. The baby's going to be born. The baby's going to be safe. For with God, nothing is impossible. When we have to flee to Egypt, Joseph, have no fear. For with God, nothing is impossible. So on and on, I'm sure this was a, an eternal word for her that she stood upon over and over again, and the family embraced that. And it would have been kind of funny to say, hey, Jesus, it's a scripture, the first one we want to teach you. <laughs> it wasn't scripture yet. It was just a story about an angel. It wasn't in the Bible yet, right? But remember this, for with God, nothing is impossible. And as a little boy, he would join in with the family repeating that phrase. But the title of the series actually doesn't come out of the Gospels or the Christmas story. It comes out of Acts chapter 20. 
So I want us to go there, and I want to give you a little background here. Uh, So what's happening here is the Apostle Paul is going to be leaving Ephesus. He's been there uh, longer than other places. He's really established a Christian church and ministry there uh, that became one of the the main uh, early churches that uh, sent people out and equipped people, and he was going to go back to Jerusalem, and they, they were... Pharisees and religious leaders that wanted to kill Paul and uh, that were in Jerusalem and people were afraid about him going back there. He could, his life could be ended there. He would, could be arrested and so forth. Ended up being a long journey, ended up going to Rome to be tried instead. And that's a long uh, part of Paul's story. But he's having this uh, time with them uh, saying goodbye to the Ephesian leaders that he was very close, they're best friends together. And he says these things to them about his ministry. Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 33. And he says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So though he was busy in ministry, he kept a tent-making ministry business going and even then was modeling how to keep aware of those who were hurting, those who were weak, those who needed uh uh, the necessities of life, and he would give extra even though he really didn't have as much time perhaps as others in their work and business, but he was so unselfish, and he was looking how ways that uh, that he could give any surplus. Probably knowing Paul, he would sacrifice some of his own food and shelter to bless someone else, and he said, I was a model of this. It's an interesting phrase because it is in red in your uh, book of Acts, and yet we don't have it repeated. You know, this is not a repeat we know in the Gospels. So somehow Paul had heard from one of those uh, 12 apostles that this is something that Jesus said, and uh, Paul remembered it, and then he used it as a quote uh, then uh, to teach others and to live by and to teach others, and it got into the New Testament. So in Christmas time, with all that goes on with the purchasing of gifts and the excitement of receiving gifts on Christmas Day, we have this uh, kind of battle in the air, in the atmosphere, in the spiritual realm that we want to be careful of and heed this uh, instruction from Paul. That the Christmas spirit can be just what we hope it to be. It's so special because of spirit of giving. And this spirit of giving uh, that we see across, you know, whether you're a Christian family or not, it's just a, a holiday tradition. People are giving gifts and thinking about what to give and how to bless. And so this is what makes this time really uh, so memorable and enjoyable all across the board. And yet it can flip over to something else where the Christian spirit can be like a spirit of greed and trying to get ahead and do one, uh, somebody uh, get better than someone else to uh, just want the gifts on Christmas Day. And so that is something that this teaching today, as we get into uh, the Magi, that we will learn from how to guard against that, that the Christmas spirit, though it does include many material things, there is, we've got to have some caution and release the spirit of giving instead. So we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1 in just a moment, but I want to get some, give you some historical background about the Magi. One, if you look at the, as we read the scriptures here in different sections, we'll find that it actually doesn't tell us how many Magi, how many wise men there were. It just says there was plural. So it could have been two or three, could have been five, could have been a dozen. Uh, the um, the reason is because we emphasize three of the gifts, and so there's an assumption kind of that says there were three magi. 
And yet this text doesn't do that. Uh, we just kind of develop that as a tradition, and it's, it's, you know, no big deal. We'll find out someday in heaven if we remember to ask. But these magi were a type of leader in that culture in those ancient times that is unmatched with anything here today because they were very wealthy and they were governmental and political. They were uh, very much into science and astronomy. They were philosophers. They were prophetic looking for what God is doing down the road. And they were so powerful that they were a part of when kings came to power and when kings in, in a number of nations, not just Israel, this would have been throughout the Middle East and the East and in a, a, a broad, huge area of this ancient practice, that these magi would even have power to depose kings, to bring them down and replace them. And so this, this is, this is a, a, a very, you know, powerful encounter to have magi to go find the baby Jesus, all right? Let's look at uh, some of these scriptures here. So you can imagine that Herod, who is a Jewish, but he's a Roman appointed leader, wants to be uh, a, you know, a powerful uh, leader. He's, he is wealthy. He's an incredible architect and builder. He's, he's built palaces like no one else. He's built an incredible temple for the Jews to keep them happy, what power he resides. But Magi are coming to town? Could this be bad news for me? A little insight on Herod is he was one of the most paranoid kings you'll ever read about. He killed sons, many wives, many good leaders. He had any suspect that they might want to bring him down or replace him. He would just end them. And so he had many relatives and, and good leaders that he got rid of quickly. So this is a type of atmosphere that we're going to start reading in Matthew chapter 2 that's going on. Here we go, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Have you noticed that before? That not only Herod was troubled, but all of Jerusalem with him. So this was a big ruckus in town. Now, let's talk about the preparations of the Magi. Babylon was about a thousand miles away. It could have been longer that they had been traveled not just weeks, but perhaps several months. They would have been wealthy. So to protect themselves and the treasures they bring, they would have had many uh, camels or, you know, horseback or donkeys and mules, whatever they used back then. And, and, and the, it would have been a caravan of their servants and even their own military to protect them. So they would have had a powerful presence. It's not like our cute little nativity scenes where there's three camels, three, uh, you know, guys riding on a camel, and then that's it, just three. No, this would have been an entourage of, could have been hundreds of a caravan traveling thousand miles with all their supplies and, and cargo. It would have been in the military. They are on a quest, and they want to find this prophesied king of the Jews. Now, a little more piece about the Magi. Daniel, from the book of Daniel, when the Israelites were uh, conquered uh, by Babylon, and the, these young leaders, Daniel was one of them, taken and trained to be one of these advisors to the king of Babylon. We believe without, with good evidence but not scriptural uh, confirmation that Daniel was a part of developing this magi, that his influences, because he became such a successful advisor to kings and heard from God, that so he would have been prophesying to the magi, 
look for the coming king of the Jews. He's going to be the Messiah of the world. That these magi, three of them, ten of them, whatever, they would have been passed down these, these studies and writings from Daniel to be looking for the sign of this new king. So they had been traveling for perhaps months. This was no quick little trip, a lot of preparation. And then as we fact, we know it's not, uh, it, it says it's, it's two years later. So it's not at the little stable manger scene that we like to create in our nativity. This would have been a couple years later. The baby is, is a toddler boy now. And perhaps they had been preparing in their trip to go and leave and come for two years. And here they are in Jerusalem. They know they're close. And fulfilling this long-awaited prophecies that they've read about this new king of the Jews. Let's go to verse 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, this would have been Herod, when Herod gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So even Herod, who was not a, a, a following Jew of the Jewish Hebrew uh, law carefully, he is uh, living a Roman life, he even knows, check those Hebrew scriptures. They're prophetic. When is it say this king of the Jews and where is this king? Because he wanted to find out, right? This is a threat that royalty could be living underneath his reign and rule. That's a threat to him. And just to say that the people knew the Hebrew scriptures were prophetic and they wanted to dig in there and find out uh, and, and, and means that they weren't studying it very well at the time either. Verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent to them uh, Bethlehem, to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, not baby. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. So don't ruin it for the children, okay? You don't have to tell them the nativity scene is not accurate, okay? Okay, just let them get older and figure that one out. And uh, we'll be doing a nativity story ourselves with our uh, grandchildren, uh, hopefully tonight. So what happens next? Verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, not the stable, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Folks, their first sight, their first look, at Jesus is to worship him. Let's do that in this busy Christmas season that let's not forget the reason for the season is Jesus. Let's worship him. Now, this word worship means in the Greek, it means prostrate, which means they were at least bowing down on their knees, if not on their faces, in this little house, I guess they had to take turns of who's going to go in first and who, and there they go. They're laying down, kneeling down if this, as if they're in some palace throne room honoring some great wealthy king. They're in this little house in front of this toddler. Wow, if we had, they had their smartphones, what kind of pictures would have been going off? What a moment. And that's what they did first, and we want to learn from that. D despite uh, traveling for months at a time, and they, their number one goal was to worship the king. Remember, this is worshiping uh, someone that was not 
wealthy and powerful. Not, this wasn't son of another king that's going to reign someday. And they're saying, look at this little baby. It's going to be this, the king. No, this is the king Jesus, the new king. And he hasn't, doesn't have a palace. He doesn't have a throne, but we know who he is. And so we lay on our knees, on our face to worship him just for who he is. Folks, can we do that? Can we worship him for who he is? And even though thankfulness, and we'll mention that in a minute, is so good, it's so powerful, but he hasn't done anything yet. Jesus hadn't done anything yet, and yet they are putting worship first in their, when they see him. I want to, uh, with the help of Rick Renner, who is a great Greek scholar, loves to pull out the history and the different uh, aspects of the Greek, says, folks, I need to, he says, I need to let you know when it says opened their treasures and they presented their gifts to them, what Magi would have been like in those days, they would have had uh, regalia for a presentation to a king. So they got out of their traveling clothes and they got dressed up in their fancy, uh, you know, headdresses and, 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 and in crowns. They would have had the long robes and their most fabulous colors and the best, uh, well-made outfits. They would have come in not with a, a little box of their gift, but it would have been a presentation of large gifts being having to carry in with several men having to carry it. This was no small thing for Magi. And so this idea of having three, no, listen, this was, they opened their treasures, plural. The opening means it's this kind of expansive and then they have other, they have gifts of and they, so it could have been not just gold, frankincense and myrrh, but fabrics and and jewels, and it could have been just a plethora. But these three gifts have prophetic significance. And that's what I'll mention now. That these gifts were an expression of their heart. They worshipped Him and bowed down first, and then they presented gifts. These are gifts that were expressions of their honor to God. They're expressions of their honor. Isn't that neat when you have a gift you're giving and it's a really expression of your love at Christmas time? That it just shows that much more how much you care and love this person. It has that symbol. These three gifts have some prophetic symbols. The gold is a symbol of kingship, of royalty. And it wouldn't have been a few nuggets, folks. It would have been worth thousands of dollars perhaps means the frankincense was very expensive, very rare. And one of the few places you would find it would be at the temple in Jerusalem, and they paid a lot of money for it. And it was what helped make the uh, the worshipful incense, the aromic incense that they would make for worship in the temple. And so that uh, symbolizes his priesthood, that he was a worshiper, not just a king, and he would lead his people into Priesthood. The myrrh was also used for perfumes for death and burial to prophesy that his death and burial was prophesied to bring redemption to many. So in our family, in the Riley home, there's a question that, you know, you say to friends and family as you see them as Thanksgiving hits and December the second thirty, you say, "Hey, are you ready for Christmas yet?" And I have to be honest, and I think about how to answer that question, and I just have to say, you know, um, I just show up, to be honest. And my lovely wife, Delisa, she does all the work in advance. She does the prep work, and um, and so. One thing that she said just a couple of weeks ago, she showed me this is uh, my favorite gift this year. Now, she wouldn't say in one that she's receiving. Now, I, I, I know what that is because she came in uh, on Black Friday from shopping with Jana and said, 
Honey, guess what? I got the gift you're going to give me for Christmas. <laughs> and, and I'll even wrap it too. I mean, I talk about an easy Christmas for me, okay? So she said, there is a favorite gift of mine, and it's one she's giving, and one that took some extra prep work to make happen. And so that is that gift giving that has meaning behind it, has love behind it. it it's, it's not just meeting a need. It has purpose and meaning behind it from her heart. It was a real privilege to be together last night. And Andrew, who did such a great job uh, putting together, was let's give Andrew a big hand uh, uh, for this dinner last night. She made this statement, and I want to say it to you, is that we just have good people. That the family of Living Waters just put out that that heart of giving spirit that they prepped and they came early and they set up and they and they cleaned up and it just brought a a, a festive enjoyable uh, spirit together. Now I want to go into another, if you don't mind, Raleigh tradition here at Christmas, and it's it's a where the. I feel like there's two types of families in the world at Christmas time. Kind of like individuals have, there's like two types of people in the world. With toothpaste, you either squirt it from the middle or you squirt it from the back and push it forward, right? And it's a big deal in a bathroom, right? Who does what? <laughs> Toilet paper, the same. You know, the, 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 it either rolls over top, and for me, I th- that's easy to get to, or the bottom you have to reach. You know, there's two different people in the world. This is... Well, there's two different types of families in the world at Christmas. And it's the one family that just tears into the gifts. You know, they just all jump in and and there's just like a cloud of dust. In about five minutes, it's all done. Or the other family that uh, takes it one at a time. They're perhaps sitting in a circle around the room. You have your one gift and and so we go a certain order, and you go one gift at a time. That is what we, that's, that's the Riley family tradition, okay? And I'm going to, it's kind of funny how this turned out. I mean, I hadn't really thought about this, this this way, but it actually breaks down into some interesting lessons of life when you do it that way. I'm not saying everybody should change over. I'm not saying that one is better. I mean, this is one day out of 364 days out of the year, right? So you can do things the way you want on any day of the year. This is just one day. But I want to tell you what happens is you got little children that you're training up, and they have to wait till their turn to open up this pile of gifts. That's incredible self-control. And what it does, it helps them learn, okay, I'm going to have patience about this material thing, this toy. I know there's, I think I know what it is in that right there. And they're having to wait to open it. And that waiting is a good practice, right, against greed and selfishness just to kind of jump. And instead, it's, it's right, you see that? The other thing is, is they get to, you're training them to rejoice with the other people when they get a gift. And you're saying, hey, this is great. Look at this gift that they got. There's um, what we did with our children when they were young uh, is they would, we, they would get a gift and we'd want them to say thank you. And it just kind of developed in a, a pattern that they would get up and walk across the room and give that person a hug. And that was an expression of immediate thankfulness that we practiced it right then when they young. Let me tell you, all my children in their 20s, they still do that. It's like ingrained in their, in their being, you know. It's like, oh, wow, thank you so much. And they just get up and they go hug Nana, you know, for the gift. And so those things I found are little things that will even I'll bring back up here later in, uh, into the message. And when one of those children come over to me and say, thank you, Grandpa, and I didn't even know what was in the box, I say, uh, well, um, I can't take all the credit. 
and that's from Joel League, quote, passing it down from Joel, uh, my father-in-law, into me. And that's, that's the honest answer. So there's a scripture from Jesus I want to go in and really hit this hard about a spirit of giving or spirit of grief and uh, of, of greed and selfishness that can develop here. Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said himself, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, some of your translations on the word mammon will use money or wealth. It's mammon is a word we don't use every day, so you kind of have to teach what it is. And uh, it is, from the Greek, it is a worldly wealth. It is a, has a bad spirit on it. It is not the blessed, money is blessed. Money is from God's provision. Wealth is a blessing from God. And yet there can be a greed spirit on it, and it's not blessed. It has a bad spirit on it. That's why I'm trying to, you know, alert us to this concept. You have this spirit of giving at Christmas or a spirit of greed. And we want to break that spirit of mammon over our lives, over our children in their upbringing. We want them to learn that there is more to Christmas than just materialism. And just right out of a dictionary online, materialism, materialism definition is a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. And this doesn't just happen with people who have extra money or or wealthy, or really successful. No, this can be someone who doesn't have much money. And so there's this yearning, and there's this constant frustration and lack of peace because you don't have it, and you feel like, hey, if I just had, and it's a bad spirit, you're trusting in riches instead of trusting in God. It's an honest question that we, in America, a very successful, prosperous land, just need to ask ourselves, why do I always want more? Because it is a typical temptation from our own sinful nature, our own uh, uh, own uh, flesh, that we just want more, and and or it could be a temptation from the spirit of this age of the world, from commercials and comparing that you have to keep up with the Joneses and look like this and be like this, or it could just be from a demonic attacking and to be a temptation from demons. To just think about yourself, meet your own needs and wants and desires. In fact, Anton LaVey wrote the Satanic Bible many decades ago. And one of the foundations of the Satanic Bible is selfish indulgence. Just indulge yourself. And that's, that's great. That's, that's good Satanic worship right there. And we can be easily tempted toward that. And that's why we as maturing believers want to have a spirit of, of holiness kind of purifying us and checking our motives of why we're doing things. See, unconditional love of God is totally different because the love of God is unconditional, meaning he pours out his love and may not get any response, anything back. It's not reciprocal. He just keeps pouring out his love. Jesus Christ poured out his love and didn't force anyone to say yes to his sacrifice. Unconditional love is different. Is that Santa Claus here already? Okay. So... Let's realize this, that unconditional love is given and God does it over and over again in our lives or whether they're Christians or non-Christians. He pours out his love and, and there's no response. And yet he keeps pouring it out. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for modeling and living out unconditional love. Because there's these easy deceptions and misconceptions about money and things this mammon, that having more money or having more things will make me more, number one, happy, number two, important, number three, secure. If these things were true, then all the Hollywood actors out there and famous uh, 
uh, athletes who make millions and millions of dollars, all that wealth that we see successful people have, they would never uh, deal with depression. They would never deal with uh, suicide and addiction drugs because they're as happy. They know their importance and they're scared. They would know, but it's just as prevalent there as any other realm of society. See, peace only comes from one source. And his name is Jesus. Though people try to find it through fame and success, through money, they won't find it. God will be sure they won't find it. Because God created us in a way only to have joy and meaning and purpose and security, peace from him. It's impossible to achieve it without him. Though we often try and people go through all lengths trying to find it, they never find it. It's only in Jesus. Here's a quick scripture written by the wealthiest man of the world of his time, King Solomon. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. The wisest man that ever lived, Jesus said this in Luke 12. 15, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard. It gets all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. I want us to have material things. I just don't want our material things to have us. We can end up serving the blessings and forget about worshiping the source of the blessings. In fact, this... These are blessings from God. These are blessings from God. And we want to break that spirit of mammon in our lives that forgets that or, or doesn't realize that. And these, is, it's a uh, material blessings and financial blessings are for his work in ministry. So I'm going to go over real quick just five things that can break the spirit of mammon over your mind, over your life and your family's life. And we're just going to kind of go back through some things that we've already mentioned. One is worship. Our first response and our first priority. Because remember, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You're only going to worship one when it comes down to it. And so worshiping him decreases and breaks this spirit of materialism over us. Having patience, like uh, uh, the little... Kid with the, the pile of gifts waiting for his turn. Have patience regarding material desires. That, that rush and being rash and in haste going to get something that's part of the temptation of materialism is you got to have it now. Well, have patience and find God's timing in that. And you'll find that it will not have rule over you. Rejoice over others' material possessions. That... We are saying, wow, instead of uh, being jealous and trying to keep up with them, you just say, wow, God bless them. Wow, that's so good of what they are receiving and experiencing in their finances or materials. Express thankfulness to the giver, the person, and also the provider, our God. To see that it is really connected. Thank you so much for this gift. Thank you so much for this provision, this help that you gave, and then in the same breath, you're in your, your heart, you're saying, I thank you, God, how this is really from heaven. All good gifts come from the Father of lights from heaven. He reigns on the just and on the unjust. He provides seed and fruit on the unrighteous and the righteous. This God is always pouring out blessings, and we want to see and connect in our thankfulness not just to the person that God uses as a vehicle, but also to him. And then be generous yourself because, right, it is more blessed to give than receive. And so when we get in that giving mode, we actually break this spirit of mammon that is wanting to attempt us from all sides. You know, this is the gospel. This, it is more blessed to give than receive, is the foundation of the gospel. This is the whole mindset of God Almighty. The Father, when he gave his son 
to leave heaven and to come to earth. Our salvation depends on this scripture theme out of Acts. That the most famous verse in the world quoted and seen on at TV football games, not so much lately. Maybe that was when I was a kid growing up. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes him believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So this giving of himself on the cross is motivated, motivated by love. For God so loved, he gave himself. And so we get to receive this everlasting life because he gave. We get to miss the judgment on our sin and have eternity in hell because Jesus took the judgment of our sin on him and died, though sinless as he was. So he gives and we get to receive. And this is such a powerful love, and yet he did it and didn't force anyone to say yes to him. That love exists when there is free will. I mean, you think surely he died and took on our sin. Surely he would at least say, I'm guaranteed at least one person is going to say yes and come with me to heaven. No, he did it and didn't have any guarantees that even one person would say yes. But it's such a powerful love. This unconditional love that gives, that doesn't have to receive back, was so powerful Millions and millions have generation after generation. I'm going to ask uh, Andrea Lane to come up and share a testimony and, uh, and just something from her heart. And um, I'm so um, wanting us, and, and I'm saying us, me and, and, and our family, I'm just wanting us to remember this Christmas season and then January will come real fast, that we really want him more than anything. Because the anything always falls short. In the end, end, we really just want him more than anything. Andrew, why don't you go ahead and share. So when I was preparing for this, two kind of key things happened. First, all I could think about were examples when I had received, which wasn't the point. The point was examples when we had given, you know, and I was just thinking about, you know, the, the event that we had last night. I was thinking of everyone's generosity, of how they, they gave of their food, they gave gifts, they served, they gave in hospitality, their time, things like that. And I, I thought about how all throughout my life I'd been blessed because I've been taken into into people's homes so many times. And so I was just kind of thinking of my life through this lens of like all the things that I had received. And another key thing that happened is that um, this is not a space that I feel super comfortable in. It's, it's outside of my comfort zone. And so I had to give God all of those feelings that can get in the way with that. I had to give him my fear of standing in front of others and talking. And I had to give him... Um, Honestly, like those fleshy desires of wanting to seem spirit-led, wanting to seem wise and well and mature and things like that. And I I had Mm. to give him those desires because I was thinking of the verse that says that blessed are the pure in heart for they see him. And so I was like, oh, God, I want to see you and I want them to see you. So here's all the muck. You can have that. And then when I was going to look um, for some examples in the Bible... You know, the Magi, when they saw God, they couldn't help but praise him and give him gifts of treasure. They opened their treasure to him. Mm-hmm. And the shepherds, when they saw the baby of Jesus, they couldn't help but share the good news with others. And they couldn't help but praise God for being wonderful and, and for recognizing who he was. And in light of those things, I was able to see my receiving and kind of see it in a different way 
because I've been invited into so many people's homes, I can't wait to be older and to be able to have a home where I can make a space for other people to live with me if they need it. And um, because Pastor Stephen gave me the opportunity to, opportunity to organize and take the time to plan or communicate and gather people, then those people were able to give of their own thing. And then Mm -hmm. other people were able to come and receive. And so it was just like this, the giving keeps on giving kind of thing. And ultimately though, I think that the most beautiful part of it is that when we see God, we can't, when we see the gift of who he is because he gave of himself both in the form of a baby and then again on the form of the cross, because of his giving, our hearts can be warmed again. Our, our minds can be opened to, oh gosh, what gifts can I give? I want to give you praise. I just want to see you. I want others to be able to see you. I want others to be able to be blessed by you because I'm blessed by you. And so... I don't know, just from my own personal testimony, I just think that it's so beautiful that other people, I don't know what blessings God gave them in return, but I think that it's a blessing in itself that by giving, by being generous, it just, it kept going. And and we don't know the lasting effects of all that giving can do, but it does something. And he knows that. And he gave, he gave to us and because of the gift of who he is we can now be moved just by seeing him of how, how to give him the gifts of our praise, how to give others the gifts that he has given us just the treasure of him in our hearts to give them. And so it's the gift that keeps on giving. Giving is good. It's blessed. Thank you. We are going to do several things to be ready for this candle lighting, if you'd be patient here with us just a minute. Thank you, Andrew, for sharing. And your giving and your generosity meets the needs of someone else down the line, down the road. In the story of the Magi, it looks like as soon as they left, within hours or moments or days, that night, Joseph had a dream that he had to flee Bethlehem. And now they had the provision to go live and travel to Egypt and live there several years. So your, your gift of giving is a provision for someone else later on. That's how God uses you. The story we're going to read now about the shepherds is a total opposite scene. Shepherds were... Not wealthy, they were not famous, they were not powerful influencers at all. It was very common um, a profession that wasn't even respected. They were considered dirty and couldn't get into, they couldn't come do temple worship. And so here we are. God draws us all. It doesn't matter who it is or where we're at. God draws us all. in those days that a decree went out that the that all the world should be registered Joseph also went out went up from Galilee Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house of and lineage of David 
to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, and who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. stand. She's calling out from the sea. 